This evening we're going to be looking at that text we read earlier from Psalm number 25, verses 1 to 7, under the title, Heavenly Prayer. Heavenly Prayer. It's a wonderful blessing to be at the prayer meeting, isn't it? To be able to come into the presence of Almighty God and to address the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's a high and wonderful privilege that we have. He's not just any king. He's the King of Heaven and of Earth. What if you were invited to speak and to address the king, King Charles III, would we act differently? Would we speak differently? Would we behave differently in his presence to show respect to him in his office and in his position? We would. And He's just a creature like you or I. <coughs> Yet we would show him the respect due to that office. If our boss comes to work, he's inspecting our work, we start acting differently, don't we? Somebody's coming in to see how the progress is going. You show respect. You speak differently. You use words that you wouldn't ordinarily use with your buddies. You try not to use a too casual tone with your boss. But what about our God in heaven? And this is a very strange thing to say today. Because these things may seem very normal. But today in the church, we're so casual when it comes to God. We must, of course, act think and behave differently when we're coming into the presence of Almighty God because of how special He is, because of how wonderful a privilege it is to come into the presence of God. These things don't come naturally to us. None of us. The young people here, you're going to be learning things that don't come naturally to you. Please. Thank you. Your parents probably remind you when you forget them. Did you forget your manners at times? These things don't come naturally to us. We need to learn these things. Maybe sometimes your, your parents will say, say yes, daddy, not just yeah. No, we need to learn these things. And it's the same when we're addressing our heavenly king. We need to learn. And these things matter. How we communicate with people matters. How we communicate with God matters. No, it shouldn't be casual. It should be in a way that honors our God. So as we look at these seven verses, we're going to look at verses 1 to 7 of Psalm number 25. <coughs> Let us see what we can learn about prayer. And may the Lord be pleased to dwell in our midst and bless us as we study this this evening. The first point we're going to look at from this text is from verse 1, pray in reverence. So this heavenly prayer, we need to pray in reverence. That's with high and lifted up respect 
to the one we pray before, that is God Almighty. Verse number one. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul unto thee. David, the psalmist, who wrote this under the inspiration of the Spirit of Almighty God, he's addressing God. And in addressing God, his soul does not merely remain here. His mind does not remain on earthly things. It's lifted up to God. It flies away, you could say, to heavenly things. His heart and his affections are toward God. He wishes, you could say, to escape the sufferings and the trials and the difficulties of this earthly existence the suffering of this world and to be with God for that is why we've been made isn't it the shorter catechism question one what is man's chief end to glorify God and enjoy him forever we're to enjoy him and enjoying him our hearts and our souls are lifted up to him as we call upon the Lord. To think high and lofty and praiseworthy things about God. One man put it like this. Our highest thoughts of God. God is still greater. The greatest thoughts we've ever had of God. The most lofty praises. Our God is still greater. Now. As we look at verse number one, does it suggest that David is being very casual as he approaches God? And if you go to many prayer meetings in many places, they're very casual. Especially in how people address God. No, his soul is lifted up unto thee. He says, oh Lord he gives his soul to God and not to this world. And that is the challenge for us here. The challenge for us here is to not have our souls clung, clinging to this world. To have our souls lifted up so that they're not distracted as we pray before God. It's so easy, isn't it? After a long and weary day, as we kneel down at the side of our beds... Crying out to the Lord for help. How many things that rush into your mind. Oh, did, I forgot that. And immediately you remember something that's not so important. That crowds into your mind. Distracting your heart from prayer. And your soul is distracted. It happens to us all. But we need the Lord's help, don't we? For these things. To have our hearts in heaven. To know how wonderful God is. Our souls almost seeking to flee and be with the beloved Savior. See, these, these things are wonderful, aren't they? To know about God. To pray in reverence with the highest respect of God. Yes, we desire to be lifted up. And we may think of our struggles. But you desire, don't you? To be more 
Have your heart and your, your mind and your soul lifted up. Be encouraged because that's a good thing. All of us are not what we would want to be as believers in Jesus Christ. We wish we were further along, all of us. But the fact that you wish to be further along is a sign of encouragement. You wish to know more of God. We have moments where we struggle to be on this earth, but the fact that you wish to seek the Lord is a sign there's life in your soul. As John Trapp once said, a carnal mind can as little lift up his heart in prayer as a mole can fly. A mole cannot fly. And only a heart with life in it, a soul with life in it, will be saying what David is saying. And yes, we will fall short. And yes, we would like to be further along and have our souls further fixed upon heavenly glory than it currently is. But be encouraged. That your hearts, if your hearts have that heavenly desire. Our second point here this evening is pray in confidence. Pray in confidence. Verse number two says this. Oh my God, I trust in thee. I trust in thee. And also at the end of verse five. At the end of verse five it says this. On thee do I wait all the day. So the psalmist is writing, Oh my God, I trust in thee. This is why he's coming to the Lord in prayer. Because he trusts the Lord. Why do we pray? Why do we call upon the Lord? Why would we ever want to do so? Because we trust him. Seems like a very simple thing, doesn't it? We have confidence in him. You will only pray and lift up your soul if you trust him. If you have confidence in him. You believe his promises. And young people here this evening, you need to know his promises. Older people here this evening, you need to be reminded of those promises, perhaps, that were taught to you by your parents. But also in learning the promises of God and trusting them, we also need to what? Reject the lies of the enemy. And they're all around us. The world. The flesh. Actually, our greatest enemy is right here. It's even worse than the devil himself. The lies of our own heart, even. The world will tell you, follow your heart. Sounds so innocent, doesn't it? But when we follow our heart, we do not have confidence in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not in thine own understanding. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. So what happens when you face trouble? And how many of us have gone through this world without any trouble? How many of us have gone through this world and nothing bad has ever happened? Well, there's none of us. All of us have gone through difficult times. So what do we do in times of trouble? Who do we call? Have you ever seen somebody asking, well, do you have an emergency phone number? You know, you're, you're staying somewhere and you're going to put down the number of someone you trust, aren't you? Or perhaps you're going through some difficulty. You don't know what to do. 
you need advice. And you're going through your head, who could I call? Well, usually when you go through all the people that go through your mind, you will go to the person you trust. The person you have confidence in. The person who's not going to tell everyone. That's someone you can have confidence in. You know you can tell that person. They will give you good, sound advice. And they're not going to tell the whole world. That's a good friend to have. A trusted friend. And who could be closer for the Christian than God? Who could be closer to the Christian than the Lord Jesus Christ? A trusted friend. And you won't call on them. That, that human friend we're thinking about here. You won't call that number. You won't pick up the phone unless you trust them. And perhaps maybe something happens in that relationship. The trust fades a little bit. You will stop calling upon them. Well, in our relationship with God, God is never the problem, is he? Usually our trust and our confidence in God can grow cold from time to time. We need to continually remind ourselves of why we can have confidence in God. Why we can, with David as he writes here, Oh my God, I trust in thee. This is why David's crying out to the Lord. In society today, I feel particularly saddened for a lot of young people. There's a breakdown in friendships. I think maybe it's because of social media, I'm not sure. Maybe it's because of the phones everywhere. But relationships are not as close and lasting as they once were decades ago. I know the past was not perfect. But there's a shallowness to relationships today that there wasn't in the past. People struggle today like they always did. And the sad thing is people think or act like they can do it alone. They don't need people. Well, friends, you need people. You need friends. You need other people around you. But above all those friendships you have, you need the Lord. You need to trust in Him. You need to have confidence in Him. Because we cannot do it alone. I am not strong enough. To do any of these things. Sometimes you know you're, you're working around the house. You need, you need help. Many hands. You know that old proverb. Make light work. And it's a blessing to all around. When you work together. And. You're not strong enough either. We haven't been made. To be islands by ourselves. And we certainly. As creatures. Depend far, far more upon the one who is in control of every particle of dust across the universe. Who is in control of every movement, of every blade of grass that is taking place across this island right now. Everything. We certainly depend upon him. Do you trust him? Do you trust in his goodness? Do you trust in his power and his strength? And you also see your own weakness. See, the more we see our weakness, our dependency on him, and the more we see his strength, his power, his glory, the more we will with David. Oh my God, I trust in thee. And also on thee do I wait all the day because David had this confidence. And we can fade. 
from these things. We can think that God, unfortunately, is just like the idols of the world. The things in this world that have let us down. That we can liken God to something of this world. This world will let us down. Good friends at times will let us down. All sorts of things will let us down. The, the greatest of people will let us down at times. But God will never, ever let us down in Christ Jesus. He does whatsoever he pleases. It says in Psalm 115. In Psalm 115. And it compares God with the idols. It says in Psalm 115 verses 3 to 8. It says in verse 3. But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Now, but God is different then to the idols. It says in verse 4, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they do not see. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet they have, but they walk not, neither speak they through their throat. They have made them, they that, that make them are like unto them, so is every one that trusteth in them. So, the idols of the world, they have mouths, but they do not speak. Ears. See, they don't do what they promise. They don't, they can do nothing to help. And anything we trust in and above God is an idol. When we put confidence in other things in this world, they will be like these things we speak of, uh, that the psalmist writes about in Psalm 115. But our God is different. He's, he does whatsoever he pleases. Or in another way of saying that is, he's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. Nothing restrains him by, from answering our prayers. So he is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our confidence. Let us meditate upon these things. That it may stir up our confidence in our soul toward him. So number three now. We're going to look at pray in deliverance. Pray in deliverance. Verse two. Once again. Halfway through verse two. Let me not be ashamed let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. We have enemies in this world. We may not like to think about that. But we do have enemies. Now we're called to love our enemies. But we do have enemies. We've been, never been promised an easy life. I remember I was raised a somewhat religious Roman Catholic. And I remember in my teenage years becoming very bitter with God. So some difficult things that happened in my life. And I blamed God. But the Lord never promised any of us an easy life. Actually, 
the Christian has been promised that he is blessed if he suffers through persecution. If he suffers for righteousness sake. We see that at the end of the, at the, end of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 verses 10 to 12. So we have not been promised an easy life. Actually, the Lord tells us, you are blessed if you suffer for righteousness' sake. We often don't pray when things are easier. Life is never completely easy at the best of times. But when things are easier, it's often when we seem to pray less, isn't it? It's usually in difficult times, when there's times of affliction. In times of sadness, in times of sorrow, often in times when it almost seems like we're surrounded by trials, by enemies, and even by those who may wish to do us harm. Difficulties can strike almost like, I don't know if you heard the, the winds last night, like the, the howling of the wind. It can be scary, wake you up in the middle of the night. We can feel afraid. In the midst of such difficulties. Enemies can and do come. And we may think in our minds as we face such difficulties and trials. Will I taste defeat? Bitter defeat at the hands of my enemies. We should not be bitter towards our enemies. We are to love our enemies. But at the same time. We can forget that we're to pray in deliverance. That there's sure victory ahead for the believer in Jesus Christ. That's already been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. It says in our text in verse 2. Let me not be ashamed. See with victory there's glory. Not shame. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Because of the Lord's promises we can pray of this in this deliverance yes we're delivered from the wrath to come but there's also a deliverance that we've been given from our enemies if you go back to genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 there's two seeds spoken about in genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 and this is right after the fall of adam genesis 3 and verse 15 and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. There's enmity been placed between the seed of the woman, that is Christ, and the seed of the serpent. And all the suffering we see in this world, the conflict, the wars, the destruction, it all goes back to sin and the conflict that takes place between those two seeds. It's all around us. We see it when we turn on our newspapers or when we look at the newspapers and turn on the news and the television. There's reminders of this conflict that has taken place for some 6,000 years. It's a very long conflict. But wouldn't you like to know how it all ends? Imagine that. We know how it all ends. As many people who go off and fight in wars, they have no idea how it will all end. Those young people who joined the British forces at the beginning of the First World War, 
They had no idea how long the conflict would last. It lasted for four years and cost many, many lives. And during the middle of that, they had no idea how it would end. They wanted swift victory. But could you imagine the morale boost it would give them if they knew in the middle of that war you're going to have victory? Yes, it's going to be ugly. Yes, it's going to be difficult. But if they knew how that battle was going to end, could you imagine what it would do to their morale and their resolve and their courage? Friends, we have been given certainty of victory. When David prays this, he's praying of something that is absolutely certain. Verse 3, Yea, let none of them, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. You see, if we wait on the Lord and trust in the Lord, we will not face that defeat and that shame. We will actually, we're waiting glory to come. We may suffer shame for the sake of Christ in this world, but it's a wonderful privilege to do so. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. See, we're really praying in the deliverance that has been purchased by Jesus Christ. Sure and certain victory. There's no shame for you, dear friend, in Jesus Christ. If you've trusted in him, if you've seen your sin and you say it is a horrendous thing and you have turned from it and you look to Jesus and you see beauty, you see the truth, the way, and the life. Well, in him there is no shame. In him there is no condemnation. In him there is sure, lasting, and eternal victory. There is eternal life in him. And so when we pray before the Lord, we should pray of these promises. We should pray of these things that are certain. Yes, we know these things will happen. But think of what happens in our souls as we pray them before the Lord. Paul, when he wrote to the Romans in Romans verse one and or chapter one, verse sixteen. Romans chapter one and verse sixteen, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And so Paul himself would not taste the bitter shame under the wrath of that defeated seed. We talked about two seeds a moment ago. The seed of the serpent will be defeated. Now we don't pray for that enemy down the road. We say, oh, that, that person down the road, Mrs. So-and-so, and she's very, not, very nice to me. This is not the way we're supposed to pray this. We, we pray for her salvation or his salvation or whoever the person may be. But we also know that if they don't trust in Jesus Christ, they're part of that defeated seed that will surely one day be judged. What did John write in 1 John chapter 2? 1 John chapter 2, John the apostle reminds those reading... Of the victory that they have in Jesus Christ. In John chapter 2 verses 12, 13 and 14. I write unto you little children. Because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you fathers. Because 
you ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong. And the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Do you see the victory that is spoken of, the overcomer? How do we overcome? By faith. How do we overcome? In Jesus Christ. It's only in Jesus Christ. So then we with Paul, or we with also with David in our psalm, let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Our fourth point we're going to look at here is pray in guidance. Pray in guidance. Verses 4 and 5 of Psalm number 25. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. See, when we pray, we're not just to pray aimlessly. We're to pray in the will of God. The wisdom and the guidance and the instruction of Almighty God. It is a light unto our feet. That is heavenly prayer. Earthly prayer, where our minds are drawn away, sometimes pray, prayer can be much, almost like a shopping list. Very much not thinking about the will and the wisdom of God. And friends, the will and wisdom of God is the best things for our lives. The best thing for our soul. If something is contrary to the will and wisdom of God, it, is, it isn't good for you. We've been made in the image of God. God is not telling you to do things that are not good for you. That's the lie of the enemy. The things that the Lord is commanding you to do, for example, the fourth commandment. This is not so that one day in the week we can be killjoys and all the fun things you can't do in that day. No, no, it is the most wonderful and glorious of days. It is a refreshment unto the soul. It is a blessing. Yet it's a commandment. It's not just a suggestion. But it's a wonderful blessing to the Christian. And Jesus himself, when he taught his disciples, he taught them to pray in the will of God. And the model prayer we see in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. In Matthew chapter 6 and in verse 10, Jesus says this. Thy kingdom come. This is in the model prayer that Jesus is giving to his disciples. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're seeking for the rule and reign of heaven. A place where there's no sin place where there's the, the pure, blessed presence of God, a place of pure joy and peace, a place of righteousness, would be seen in this world. That's what we're praying for. We're praying in the guidance of God. And so when we pray, to help our prayer, and the Lord is merciful and gracious in our prayer, we must be teachable. To learn from the will of God. To pray in the will of God. 
This is for all of us. To, to learn from the scriptures. We don't need to be the greatest of scholars. We don't need to be people who have gone to university. Nothing wrong with that. That is a wonderful thing. I have marveled at how much people know about the land. Sometimes you'll go to a farmer's house. And the amount of information they have about their land. They have studied all their lives. They just don't realize it. They know so much about nature. They can talk for hours and hours and hours about the seasons and the crops and all sorts of things. Things most of us would struggle with. How about the mechanic? The mechanic can talk about cars for hours and hours and hours. The doctor can know so much about the body. The nurse knows signs and things to help people. But what about the Christian? We're not all alike. We don't all have the same skill set. But we all should be able to speak about our God. And so when we address God, should we not know about him? Should we not know about the one whom we pray to? And this is knowing the will of God. And to know about God, we need a good teacher, don't we? Who is the greatest teacher to ever walk upon the face of the earth? The Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you remember your school days. You have all those teachers that you, you remember. And there was those teachers who you really respected, who took time with you and treated you like you were an adult almost. And you remember that. And you, want, you paid much more attention in their class. And you learned so much from them. Dear Christian, the Lord cares for you. And he wishes to teach you and your soul. To aid you. We may not do what somebody else is doing in the church. That's not the point. Are we closer to the Lord than we were in the past? Are we, gro are we getting closer and closer? That our souls are prepared for heaven. Our final point is pray and acceptance. So in heavenly prayer, we looked at pray in reverence, pray in confidence, pray in deliverance, pray in guidance, and finally number five, pray in acceptance. Verses six and verses seven. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me in for thy goodness sake, O Lord. What do we need to accept as we pray before Almighty God? If the Lord answers our prayers, he doesn't give it to us because we deserve good things. He answers our prayers for mercy's sake. See, when the psalmist is writing, remember, O Lord, remember not the sins of my youth. It's not like God forgets things, does he? Does God forget anything? Not at all. Our God doesn't learn anything either because he knows all things. For of him and through him and to him are all things. But... David writes and, and cries out to the Lord, Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies. See, David wants the Lord 
Not to give him what he deserves. Not to remember our sins, because we, we have to accept we're all sinners. As we approach before God, we're sinners. We're in need of forgiveness daily. Even in our best moments, we're constantly in need of forgiveness. <coughs> but as we come before the Lord, we seek for the Lord to remember his mercy, that he would respond in mercy to our prayers. That's heavenly prayer. You see, the, pray of the, the prayer of this world, and you might even, if you ever turn on um, the television, and you might see a, a service of worship, maybe a famous one, maybe it's somebody who's passed away, maybe part of the royal family, and you might listen to it for a moment or two. And it just, it sounds like they've forgotten that they're sinners. It sounds like they're like, look at this wonderful person who has just passed away. It becomes so much about people and the goodness of people and not the goodness of God. We're sinners. And we need God to answer in mercy because the biggest danger, friends, is this, self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is another gospel. The person who thinks he's not a sinner the person doesn't realize that he's broken the law of God and comes before the Lord. Well, what can he expect? The Lord will remember his sins of youth. The Lord will remember his transgressions because he has yet to be forgiven in Jesus Christ. But friends, because we have been forgiven in Jesus Christ, because we've looked to him, as we've looked at, to pray in confidence, to pray in deliverance and all these other things. We also need to accept who we are and to accept who he is. His mercy endureth forever. It's never going to fade. As bad as we are at times, as, as, as horrible as our, our thoughts can be at times, he does not change. He, he sometimes says in the scriptures, doesn't he? It's, like, it's because I do not change you are not consumed in the book of Malachi. Remember not the sins of my youth. This is what we're to look towards in prayer. Friends, what a blessing it is to be at the prayer meeting. I hope you see that. Young people here, I hope you see what a blessing it is to call upon the Lord. You have the great and wonderful privilege of talking to God. How many famous people do you ever get to talk to? This is God we're talking about here. The greatest, most powerful king of kings says if you trust in Jesus Christ, you have access to him at all times. Other kings will eventually go, I, I, can't, I can't, can't talk to you all day long. You can talk to God. Pray without ceasing. Young boys and girls, I hope you do call upon the Lord. He will, for those, he will hear your prayers. For those in Jesus Christ, those who trusted in him. And for those who are a little bit older. You may be going through trial. You may be having a difficult week. You may be discouraged. The Lord is, the Lord doesn't just put up with our prayers, friends. He delights in them. And why does he delight in our prayers? Is it because we're good? Not at all. Because of Jesus. He ever liveth to intercede for us. 
his people. Amen.